Thanks for watching this episode and following the podcast. Um, before this episode begins with the featured guest, Adam Schumacher, I wanted to bring something up that we didn't get to talk about, which uh, I think is really useful and important for the new music community. Um, Adam has been conducting this survey to collect information about musicians' incomes as a way to make it transparent to all of us so we know how much we should be charging, what we could expect to hopefully earn. And so I'm, I'm putting in the description of the video a link to the survey. And just to give you uh, the first paragraph of the survey reads, this is a survey designed to collect the recent financial earnings, job statuses, stories, and experiences of musicians and artists with portfolio careers, careers comprised of many different jobs. This survey will turn into possible articles and monographs about the personal finances and earnings of working musicians to benefit the music entrepreneurship educational community. So within this survey, he does um, anonymize it. So if you do submit to it, your name won't be included. Your, your name won't be shown saying how much you've earned this year or anything like that. Another thing I'm going to include is links to articles that Adam has written for New Music Box where he specifically interviews composers and performers uh, about their exact income, how much they made this past year, what, they, what jobs they did that contribute to that income, uh, what expenses they have, even the lifestyle that they live. So if you're a musician, please go to the link in the description, uh, fill out the survey so that Adam can collect all the data with this research and uh, we within the community can feel a lot better and more comfortable with the careers that we're, we're leading. So hope you enjoy the episode. My name is Adam Kanal and I am a collaborative composer. Join me in the search for a career in classical music. This is the Making Noise podcast. Um, yeah, I I don't know if you, if um, you recall or not, but I was I was in the the video call for um, Garrett Hope had you do that tax webinar in August, I think it was. Ah, oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, your name sounded familiar, and I was like, "Why well, I couldn't figure out where." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there was oh my god, I learned so much in that, and and I oh, took good. so many notes, um, <laughs> and I have like this whole spreadsheet going now of like yes. income and expenses and stuff. The thing that I have most trouble with is keeping up with it, honestly. It that yeah, um, it's hard. You know, actually, honestly, um, so like I run just at home, I run three budgets, you know, the family budget, my wife's work budget, which she works from home, runs, runs around small business. And then um, my music budget, which has lately been pretty quiet. Mm, <laughs> so right. um, but like so I, every morning I get up and I do a little bit, like just mm. enter in a few things, check a few accounts every morning. And it's, um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of times, but I always feel ready for financial things now that that now that that's my behavior after 10 years of trying different things. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, but it's hard to keep up. And part of it's kind of developing like, what am I what am I good at doing? You know, mm -hmm. like what's good for my patterns of behavior um, and trying to lean into those. Yeah, well, th that's that's a good way to put it, because I, and I know for me, like, I, I'm one of those people where it's like, I'm, I'm afraid to look at my account and see what's in it. 
and what has gone out and like or how much has gone out into what yeah and, then, and you're like oh my god i spend money on all this crap like you know and um that was the biggest part i think when my wife and i started trying to figure out how to budget between us like we were terrible at it and mm. part of it was like we weren't we weren't looking at everything together and we also weren't willing to sit down with our faults <laughs> yeah <laughs> and go yeah we have no money there or wow we really overspent that or how are we going to pay that off but once we did things just started getting so much better um but it just takes a little bit of humility <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's a tough step to get to i i we don't have to belabor this too much because i know you you talk about this quite a bit so i don't want you to feel like you're just oh this talk again no i'm i totally i like i like talking about it um mm -hmm. i just did a um a presentation at the society of arts entrepreneurship education conference mm -hmm. um and my whole talk was on financial transparency just why musicians and artists need to talk about finances more um, in all aspects of their lives, you know, both professionally and whatnot. So, yeah, that's that's been my my side interest lately. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I think um, I mean, like I said, going back to the webinar that you had with Garrett Hope and stuff, is that is that uh, public, by the way, or is it? Um... Um, you know, I don't think we ever released the video publicly, so okay. um I'm not sure it will be actually. He, I think he kind of said yeah, you can do what you want with it. So I haven't really done anything yet. <laughs> mm, right, right. Yeah, um, I'll consider it though. He has been working on another um, project. I'm not sure if he's announced it yet, but it's gonna be a pretty cool Ooh. kind of um, what do you call it? Like a music business summit for January. So oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's gonna be really interesting. A lot of good people are involved in it. Um, definitely worth checking out later. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll keep my eyes open for that and. Um, uh, the, <clears throat> after taking the webinar that you did and I, I did, uh, Garrett had this thing called the pivot adventure yeah. kind of, you know, to kind of help musicians literally like pivot from this whole coronavirus situation that we've been in. And, uh, one of the talkers on that was Shell Tran, I think is her name. Okay. And she was like the money person. And so there was all these discussions about, uh, or she had this whole discussion about, um our relationship with money and how like money doesn't judge you it just tells you what you're spending where your money's going and where it's you know um so kind of like what you were saying having that humility and just confronting it and like you said you said you do it every morning pretty much something um it's it might just be like a few minutes honestly but like um you know my wife sells clothing online essentially so every day there's payments that are posted in and so like that's encouraging because you know it's revenue right <laughs> so I, I always put that in first because the the spreadsheet i made for her basically churns out revenue she's always putting in the expenses because she's buying and paying for things constantly mm -hmm. um and so i put the revenue in just to kind of make it easy and then the bottom line churns out a kind of percent profit that we're always aiming for it changes because it's retail mm -hmm. um but we always try to make sure that we're kind of within this window of actually making money, you know, instead of the alternative. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's kind of a daily adventure. You know, you throw in a chunk of change there and you have these expenses and that percent profit constantly changes. So, right. Right. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's uh, fair to say that you don't want to pursue the alternative. Well, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, there have been months where like, 
we've gotten to like barely made it make any money, but we can see why because of the previous month. So it's like informative and just the patterns of the business and whatnot. So, right, right. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. The money thing is just like, like you said, it's um, money is not a bad thing. We just have really negative connotations towards it because of most of us don't have enough <laughs> yeah. or we've been at times where we don't have enough or, you know, all the other things that go along with what money means in our society. It's right. Yeah. Right. Especially like the whole materialistic view of like, this person has that Tesla. I want a Tesla, you yeah. know, like <laughs> that sort of thing. But yeah. 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 One of the things that I wanted to bring up uh, was uh, how, how you, how you contacted me to be on the podcast and stuff. I, I love the way that you initiated it. And I was, I was hoping that you can maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'll give you the long story, I guess. Please. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of two stories in one. So, um, you know, with the, the release of the album that some assembler required produced and recorded, um, I had a piece on it and they sent me the tracks um, in the summer. And I was like, wow, this is like really good. Like, I didn't know what to expect. Like, I liked them as musicians and I thought they did a great job with everything they were doing. But you never know like what your piece is going to sound like once you've kind of been hands off of it for a couple, like a year or more. And I listened to my piece and I was like, can I hear the rest of the tracks? And I listened to the whole album. Like, this is a really cool album. And I was starting to quiz them about like distribution, what their plans were, because in the back of my mind, I had been toying with the idea of um, launching a kind of label collective um to where basically a record label that would just help with the digital distribution of new music projects um or projects that somewhat fit into that new music category um and so i was kind of just curious what they were doing and they didn't have as many plans as i thought um because they were pretty new to it. it's their first debut album um so i just said hey you know i i don't know much about this honestly but I'd be willing to start a little label to help you with the album. Um, and so we agreed to work together. I create a small label that's just very bare bones. Um, and so part of that, out of, out of, you know, that whole process of learning about just the distribution side is, well, what else can we do to publicize it? You know? Um, and one, one kind of entrepreneurial tactic I've seen over the years, I also teach arts entrepreneurship, which is the second half of the story, but you know, the, the tactic of just creating a voice and talking to other people, collaborating on media, on conversations like this podcast, um, you know, you're like, you are creating a voice for yourself as a podcaster, but also as a composer by talking about new music stuff, right? It all ties together with our career paths and how we, you know, get our name out there. Um, I like it because it's very collaborative and it's fun. Um, it's not hard. It just takes some time. And so I was just looking for podcasts that would be places I could talk about the album, honestly. Right. Um, and if anything else comes up, you know, cool. You know, uh, <laughs> it's all kind of mixed together in these multifaceted careers. Um, and so that was really where it stemmed from is like where you know, what albums or what, what podcasts are out there that would talk to me. Um, I had a, a bunch of other emails out and I saw yours and I saw Megan on there. I know Megan. I'm like, well, that's, that was a cool podcast. And I like the YouTube version of it too, um, which is where I saw it and haven't seen anywhere else. But uh, yeah, the YouTube was cool. And I thought, well, that'd be fun. Maybe he'll <laughs> want to talk to me. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are. 
I love that. I, 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 oh my God, there's so much in there that, um, <clears throat> like the whole entrepreneurial spirit and, and, uh, how you, like, you were like, I want, you know, let me see how they're, how they're distributing this. Oh, they haven't figured out a model yet. Let me try to figure one out. Like that's, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I, I like, I hear you saying that and, and like the, uh, the, um, what, what do I say? Like the self-conscious side of me is like thinking like, I don't know how to do that. I don't think I can do that. Everyone else does it so well, you know, like how do you approach those sort of things? Well, the things I've learned over the years, like, so it's interesting because I've been teaching arts entrepreneurship at Kalamazoo college for like five years now. Um, and I kind of proposed and launched the class and ironically, like I've had, you know, I had, there's a period in my life where I was just, you know, five jobs at a time, all within varying degrees of music. Right. Um, I'm full-time. I've been full-time for like 10 years now um, with the Gilmore keyboard festival. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also teach part-time and I still freelance. Right. So I'm still, there's still parts of my life that have that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, but you know, well, where was I going with that? I lost it for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, the 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 label, like you know, just creating things. And the way I've seen people do this, they don't really always know what they're doing. You know, um, I think being in higher education, the the one thing that you get out of a degree is you learn to learn. And if you don't learn how to learn, then what are you doing, right? Um, but it's just that asking the right questions, talking to the right people to figure out what you need to do. Um, and it's not always clear, like, especially in the music world, there's not always the linear path of how to do something, which is both comforting, but also scary, right? Cause there's not always great examples out there or examples that you can figure out. Um, so the, the label is just, it's been senior, like, well, at first I thought I'd really like to do a composer collective where you find like friends that have similar aesthetics, kind of like the bang on the can trio, you know, but I'm like, there's just not like my point of uh, life. My lights just went on down here. It's <laughs> just not um, a point of my life where I can do that with, you know, working full time, raising kids, stuff like that. And so um, I might be interrupted by a child, by the way. Just warning you. <laughs> no worries. This is the making noise podcast. Yeah. So it's yeah, like, making noise. We did yeah. this. We do around here. <laughs> so, um, so this this idea of converting what it would be a collective into like a label that actually does something and provides a service um, was really encouraging to me, and you know, somewhat self conscious because like this this album obviously has a piece of my own music on it, um, so I'd want to promote it for my own composer life. But then I really like the album, so I believe in the product itself and the group that did it. I really like their work. Um, And I thought a label would be a great service to uh, people like me or people working in the new music world that didn't have an easy means to distribute something Mm -hmm. um, because of just basic costs or time or expertise. Um, And so, like, you know, one thing we learned pretty quickly is that there's not money in, you know, (laughs) in streaming royalties, which we all knew, um, or just making labels in general. Um, And so you kind of had to, I had to think, well, what can I do to streamline the cost of that too, just to make it something that could be small growth over time to where we consciously, you know, don't spend a lot of money, but try to build it slowly with the funds that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's collaborative in the sense that even though it's just me right now, you know, I'm collaborating with the artists or the, the people that are producing the work. 
um, and working together to promote it. Uh, I can provide certain things with what I've learned and what I know and the few things that I've already paid for that are covering themselves. Um, so, yeah, one second. Sure, yeah. Hey, babes. I need that TV off, please. <laughs> I don't know if that's really loud, if you can hear that, but... <laughs> it's not too loud. It's in the background, but it's not... It's not uh... <laughs> you know, it's... it's the yeah. Family life. It's yeah. La- Last night, we had a board meeting, and my two-year-old just sitting in my lap with a sucker that he found somewhere, just watching the board meeting with me. <laughs> that's you know that's one of the things about these zoom meetings i think are fantastic is like the professional barrier is kind of broken you know oh yeah i love it though i mean exactly to me it's encouraging because i felt like the old mentality is like leave your kids and family out of it unless it's like an event that you're bringing your wife or partner to right and now i'm just like you know we all have different home situations and it's all mixed in and it's it's like yeah thanks <laughs> it's it's so funny. I mean, there's like uh I don't know if you've seen there's 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 bloopers out there of uh uh news anchors with like their pets interrupting or something or like there's some talking head interview with a politician and then like you see their yeah. child run by in the background. Like <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. So I don't know if I answered your question, but it was kind of born from this um Yeah, and I'm still kind of I'm still toying with the collective idea like who wants to do this with me, you know? Who wants to put some time in? I don't have a team. Um, you know, the some assembly required did a lot of work already for their album, and we've worked together to promote it gently. You know, from what we can, it's not like a big operation yet. So the the social media reach and all that stuff started like uh, barely a month and a half before the album was released. So it's all pretty fresh still. Right. Okay. Yeah. Is is this um, the odd odd red collective? Is that what? Uh, odd pop re- odd records. Pop. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Records. Uh, okay. It's in red font, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's probably where the red is coming from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I, I saw that on the bottom of your email, like a little uh, uh, tag or whatever you call that. And um, I was curious. I was like, oh, what, what is this? And I looked it up real quick and I, I found the Facebook page and everything. Yeah. So we were like just. I mean, bare bones, like I haven't made a website for it because of, you know, money. I put the money elsewhere. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of slow building. What can I build um, to make it work? And right now the the problem is, you know, releasing more albums, mm-hmm. you know, seeking them out. And so I have one, actually one more in the line, which is exciting. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I'll be work- actually working with Megan Enan. We haven't official- made it official yet, but like... Um, working together, getting these contracts put together for her uh, one voice project, not one voice, that's something else's project, her um, wordless lullabies project. So, okay. Um, yeah. And she's got it all recorded, but hasn't put together, you know, all the contracts for the composers and the distribution and whatnot. So that's what we're working on right now. Ah, that's beautiful. I love, I love how there's like, this uh, this this one thing that you you were like you know what let me let me put a, a distribution together for this album and then now it's turning into something bigger where like now Megan is there and then everyone who's affiliated with Megan is in there and well and that's that's the only way it's going to work is if I have multiple projects constantly in line you know um, just to pay for itself right mm-hmm. um, and so yeah it's been interesting too because now I find myself like listening to more artists and thinking hey that would be really cool. I would really enjoy putting something together with them. So I've reached out to a wide variety of people just to 
put little seeds in their mind about if you're looking at doing an album, let me know. I will help. Right. Well, here's what I can help with, which isn't a whole lot. But <laughs> so you're starting to to have like a is that a producer hat? Would you say? I guess so. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, it's more just kind of the back end, you know, royalty licensing stuff. So yeah. It's it's interesting to hear all this, and that's why I was so curious about it because, um, uh, like where we are, you know, like with COVID and everything like that, and that's that's exactly why I started this podcast, and it was under the same sort of spirit for you with the uh, uh, the label. Yeah, I I've never started a podcast before. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing. I um I I, I you know researched a little bit. And I, I had this microphone already. And um, yep. and so it's just been slowly like I first put it on YouTube. I'm hosting on my website. I just put it on Apple Podcasts. So it's like a slow sort of unfolding, yeah. kind, kind of like what you're saying, you know. And I think what I'm learning from this process, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, is um, when it comes to doing something new, like you kind of just have to do it. But it's, there has to be also some level of calculations to like yeah um what like soften the blow i guess you know like <laughs> yeah i mean definitely like some people well when i teach entrepreneurship you know a lot of people get caught up in that i need all these things to make it happen but i'm like no you don't you just need kind of an impetus you know something something to trigger the start and then you can build from there you know um for the the label it was one album right that was already mostly paid for and recorded and sounding great right um the group did so much work like so we that was the impetus mm -hmm. for other things it's just like some of my students they just need like one song to hop on a platform and release it you know and then you grow from there and you go okay it's here how do i get it there how do i make sure if it you know i always say to my students you know if something's going to blow up you want to make sure you have the basic level of royalty collection in place. Mm -hmm. So just making sure that you're you're on top of what you can there and doing essentially what your what your business side will allow. I always say don't spend money unless you have some money coming in mm -hmm. or it's just a little bit, right? So um it's not like we're starting, you know, big, you know, enterprises here. It's uh right. the slow growth model, you know, a little bit of time, tick it off, set up some systems and keep moving forward, you know. I like that. That that makes me think um, of the opposite of that, like lottery winners. You know, like the whole thing where lottery winners are bankrupt after like a year or so because yeah. they didn't learn the behaviors to uh, on how to handle that amount of money. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so, like, what you're saying, the exact opposite. Like, do it slowly so you can develop the uh, the skills, the understanding, create that basis with the uh, mm -hmm. all the royalties are in line. Yeah. That's great advice. I mean, it's, it's the world we live in too. Like you kind of have to, you kind of have to make sure your basic needs are covered. Like we're just speaking financially, right? Like whatever job that is, doesn't really matter mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Um, something that you can do that's good for your psyche, good for your health or good enough, you know, for your health <laughs> to cover your bare, bare needs. And then you can jump into, you know, projects that might excel you into a freelance world or some other career path. But kind of got to take care of yourself first and then treat the side projects as side projects until they become more. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting because I've seen people do that where they, they kind of develop these side projects while they're working someplace. And then over time, 
their load becomes so big on the side project that they have to go, okay, I can either say no to more things in the area that I want to be in, or I can quit my job and take the risk. And so there's a tipping point, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and just seeing that happen over time, like that slow growth period is so important just to be focused and persistent, but not like not destroying your life over it, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 It becomes, it becomes pretty, um, I mean, it, it, at that point too, it, you can, you can probably have a pretty negative outlook on it then, you know, if, if you, if you're like breaking your back over it and then you, you come to dislike it. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, things don't happen overnight most of the time. And so like, you got to kind of, again, keep at it for a long period and then you can find those tipping points later. Um, yeah, I've seen it time and time, like some people try it too soon and they, they get burned out fast because you're fighting against something that's not generating enough income to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that have kind of t- taken on the side and built it slowly over time, they oftentimes I see those tipping points happen with my colleagues, you know, um, and then they make the jump and then they find, oh, I have just enough to make this work. Mm-hmm. And then the rest from there is just growth. Um, and they keep doing what they do and they grow from there. I, it, this is making me think on, on one um, <clears throat> the podcast I actually just released like 20 minutes ago, however long, yeah. uh, was with Alan Tyson, uh, Megan okay. Enan's duo partner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and we had a conversation similar to this talking about um, uh, like young artists who break it pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Alan was saying how he, uh, I, I don't want to... Uh, say the wrong thing that he said uh, or mis- misrepresent him but he said something along the lines of uh, he kind of feels bad for them because um, you know how are they going to duplicate that success and are they prepared to handle all of that you know yeah. um, have you seen things like that in 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 the field with people you may know that handled it gracefully um it's interesting because you know the my proximity to kind of young fame, I guess, if you could call it that, is only through my work at the Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Um, and you definitely see like these young artists come through um, and some some continue that performing career on the piano and some choose wildly different paths. Um, and some are actively grappling with, do they keep pushing or do they go some other direction um so i haven't seen a lot of the early stuff most of my experience with my colleagues my friends um even my students i've taught uh they kind of have the slow burn you know the slow growth approach to where they'll be just doing their thing and doing their thing and all of a sudden like i had one student at kalamazoo college who wrote a whole album for his senior project and it was really good and then he kind of like just disappeared in Chicago for a couple of years. I don't know what he was doing. Next time I checked in with him, like he was touring the world with a, a band called Whitney hmm. um, and making music all over the place. I'm like, cool, you know, <laughs> but it didn't happen overnight, you know, is my point. And so I see more of that slow build than I do the young fame um, experience. Right. I, th- right. I think it's a good thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like said, it's probably easier to handle with more maturity and, um, less decisions. Well, I guess more knowledge and awareness happens over time as you approach that. Mm-hmm. And then most yeah. of the people I know aren't even like famous. It's just like they have decent, good careers, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, that's the other thing, like that people think they need to be famous to make a living, but you don't, you know, you just need a consistent 
varied income career, you know? Yeah, I imagine that uh, social media certainly influences that a lot. You know, the appearance of like, um, uh, like Instagram influencers, you know, yeah. I, I don't even like that term, honestly, I understand it, but I just, uh, I don't know. It's, eh, I don't know. <laughs> it kind of misconstrues like what the rest of the world actually does. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Or, or how people that are fairly normal achieve, you know, moderate stability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's one thing where I, uh, with my business coach, we've talked about that sort of stuff and how um, people who, who use these platforms to, um, to start their career, the, the biggest issue is if that platform's gone tomorrow, what happens? Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. And, I mean, obviously there's things to put in place like Patreon and whatnot, but then again, you're also still relying on Patreon. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, a weird, it's a weird balance, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm not even going to pretend like I know the answer to these things, but, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think for the social media side of things, just not to get too caught up in all the stats, you know, um, there's so much more to building actual relationships than just good socials. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot, a lot of my young, well, it's young, a lot of my college students get caught up in the social media side of it. It's like, well, I need more likes or more this, or I need to buy ads even like, no, no, try working with the people, you know, first and build from there. And you'll, if you can, I think you can build more real natural connections. You'll find that, you know, you won't be reliant on the the fickle social media trends, you know? Right. So, yeah, that's, that's great advice. I mean, and especially because it's, it's strengthening the community too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, social media is part of our reality, right? Mm-hmm kind of important to have but it's not i guess it's not the end all yeah yeah it's like uh, have you seen the documentary the social dilemma no i haven't no yeah uh, that, that that's it. it's an interesting one i mean they they mainly just talk about how uh all social media platforms and like uh google and everything um they they buy your attention mm-hmm. and uh and they they have these systems in place like the the algorithms that are meant to learn your habits and like put something on your Facebook feed at the right time when you're like, need that dopamine kick and they're, you know, yeah, but, um, that's makes sense. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a wild thing, but, uh, yeah, I've talked about it a few times on here. Cause I, I, I think that, you know, it's such an important thing. Like you were just saying, like we, 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 we really do need it. It's yeah. so necessary for our field, but at the same time, there's like, it's like that fine line between love and hate, you know, it's, yeah, and like I mean, I've never gotten uh, opportunity from a Twitter post, right? Mm. I feel like the new music Twitter scene is really supportive and really uh, helpful, but most of my projects or collaborations come together because of me messaging people or talking to them directly mm-hmm. or reaching out to people, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily just from blanket posts, right? right? Or from viral posts, even. There's my son. Hey, there's the cameo. <laughs> What you doing, buddy? How's it going? Yeah, so um <laughs> Mama's calling you. I think you need a diaper change too. Ooh. It's gonna he's gonna get the Oscar for supporting actor. <laughs> Thanks coming on video calls. Watch out, bud. He's playing with keyboards too. I have keyboards back here, so starring him early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. So 
Yeah, um, I have I, I have a question that's uh, yeah, a little later. bit more personal for me. But sure. um, with Twitter, for example, I don't have a Twitter account, and um, but so much of what I see about Twitter just out in the world is always like, whenever something bad happens to someone, it's through Twitter. <laughs> it's like I've oh, heard a lot of that. Yeah, um, I don't I don't actively see a lot of that on the the people I follow. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's also something that I've brought up in my um entrepreneurship classes is like trying to curate your social media for your business use and professional use um like i have a lot of family on my facebook that drive me crazy and sometimes (laughs) i get caught in these political feeds where just it's dumpster fires right um but twitter like i don't really know any of my family on twitter and it's really all people making music in different varieties mm-hmm. and so i find that the stuff that i'm attracted to on twitter is people that have different careers in music specifically new music and we all kind of talk about different things um and it's good you know um i'm sure there's a lot of dumpster fires on twitter that kind of get fed to you but cuz it's not you it's not relying on uh, always who you follow um, but I don't, I guess I don't see a lot of it because I've kind of curated my feed to be the things that I'm just interested in, which is the music side of it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean that description right there, I feel pretty convinced on it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting because there's a lot of really cool people on Twitter and like, um, it's, it's, it's at, honestly like really benefited me, um, being able to talk to these people and the few times where I've met them in real life. It's like we almost kind of know who we are, right? Mm. Um, I always, not, you can call it a claim to fame. You know, I'm not really like a well, I'm not a well-known composer at all. I barely write music half the time. But um, like I was at a conference probably like five years ago at some point, DePaul University. Um, it was a one-time conference called the 21st Century Musician. Um, and I was in line getting some coffee and Judd Greenstein, the composer from New York, was behind me and He's like, don't I know you? And it's like, yeah, maybe, but only from Twitter, you know? <laughs> so we never met before. Um, but it was kind of fun because, like, I, me being an, essentially a nobody in the world of composition was able to strike up a conversation from a simple digital connection. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's lots of people I know on Twitter and the new music circles that I've never met, but I would totally, like, hang out with in person and if we have a project to collaborate on cool, you know? So, yeah. And this is all like the great things that we were talking about a moment ago about social media. Like you're able to connect with someone who lives on the other side of the country or the world. And then you finally meet and it's like, Hey man, let's get a beer. This is so cool. You know, Mm -hmm. or, or uh, even, or especially like your label, you know? Yeah. You don't know. Um, But there's like the people that are doing interesting things, you can find them and you can, connect with them mm-hmm. uh, at the base level right and kind of keep up on what's going on yeah 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 i mean it's it's the uh the community aspect and um which which i uh mentioning your label makes me makes me wonder too what is something with starting your label that uh has been like a unexpected barrier in a way or like unexpected like oh i, I didn't plan for this or uh, just time you know <laughs> <laughs> um i really need i really need to find somebody that wants to do more marketing stuff you know because like the marketing and just creating content to get people to notice is hard mm. um that's just the hardest thing to do in, in any role um 
my wife's really good at with her business. Um, but it's like, she's doing it all the time, every day, multiple times a day. And I don't, I don't have that kind of time for the label yet. So just trying to really be specific with the time I do spend and how I spend it so that it's most beneficial for everybody mm. and the projects, you know? Yeah. That's, that's really smart. That's really smart about, about being so particular. Well, it's, just a re- it's just a reality. It's like, I, I'm not gonna, you know, pretend I can work 24 seven on this. So I'm just going to do what I can and contribute <laughs> where I can. And even just like sharing people's projects and news is a big thing, you know, um, social media is about sharing. So I don't always have to promote the label, just having the label share things by other artists, mm-hmm. share other albums that I have nothing to do with that I think are cool kind of helps contribute to that. And so just making sure I do that often, <laughs> it's not even like regular, but often, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and like you were saying with your wife, how she spends all of her time in marketing. Yeah. It's essentially, I mean, how she sells things and it works, but it's, it's daily, you know, it's her job that she reports to in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, um, uh, her, her full-time job is, is the retail. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's self-employment income, so right. she doesn't have to do it and nobody's watching her, but, uh, if she doesn't, she doesn't make money. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it makes so much sense that uh, cause all the responsibilities on you. So if you mm-hmm. want to make if you want to make an income from it, then you need to let people know that it exists so that they can purchase it. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty straight line right there, but um, and it's constant reinvention too. We've, I've helped her since the beginning, and like just we've had to change so many systems. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, social media constantly changes, the algorithms change, so things that you used to do don't work anymore. Mm. You have to reinvent constantly, like constantly. It's just crazy. Yeah. So with with that, I mean, like helping your wife with her business, how has that uh, altered or, or impacted how you conduct your composing career and everything? Oh yeah. Um, gosh, it's a big question. <laughs> just, <laughs> just realizing how part-time composer I am right. <laughs> being okay with that. Cause like, you know, yeah, just the, the amount of effort it takes to, to sell something that's already made. Right. And compositions even less, you know, people need to buy clothing to dress. Right. But like, Nobody needs a new piece of music right away. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, just completely different, but just realizing like how much work goes into something that's so straightforward mm. and um, how, like I said, just kind of being specific with what I take on and do um, to kind of keep that slow burn alive. And to me, it's a, it's a slow burn. Like, I have to keep it active. Mm-hmm. I can't let it go to the wayside, but I got to find different ways to manage that within the rest of my life. Right, yeah. Yeah, it man, the the slow burn thing. I like that a lot. I like, you know, um it's definitely it's hard, I know, cuz like coming from my, you know, speaking from my personal experience, it's like it's hard to um to think about the long-term effects when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. Know? And uh, you know, it's like the whole looking at the trees but not the forest, you know. Yeah, it's hard. It's um I'm not a brilliant strategist with this stuff, but just trying again, trying to keep, I think, I think persistence kind of like just, uh, unadulterated persistence, you know, just, just coming at it nonstop, but at the level that you can, you know, yeah. Um, everybody has different levels. Some people can do a lot. Um, some people can't, 
But if you can stay consistent and persistent with it, I think most people will find a place for themselves yeah. in some capacity. Ah, I like that. That, that, that. that totally leaves room for the person, like the artist themselves, like just who they are to, to grow and develop into the career that they want. Yeah. And it's a, it's a mix, you know, it's a mix between what's available opportunity in front of you making opportunity. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but yeah, but like what you were saying before with networking and like how you started your label and then, you know, Megan. And so then that's happening and the people she knows they're a part of it. And, and yeah, the, net, the networking is huge. I, I can't get behind that enough. You know, just like even going back to like the Some Assembly Required album, like I didn't even think I'd have, like I don't have a, an album of new music myself. You know, um, I have dreams of putting together an album of songs. I have like probably a couple albums worth of songs I've never recorded. I just haven't had time. Um, I have three kids, you know, a full-time job and a half. And it's just not something I can always get to, especially with the few projects I have in the composing world. Um, but like the networking has been surprising because just like tracing, like how I started with this album, you know, I was probably like 2015. I had a song cycle I wanted to write. I ended up writing it for a group called What Is Noise? And the pianist from What Is Noise is Cholong Park. And she's the pianist for Some Assembly Required. And I basically wrote a grant to get what is noise to perform my piece in Kalamazoo. We recorded it. We recorded a video of the performance, um, had a concert, and that's kind of where it stayed. But then that experience led to a collaboration with Cholong's other group, right? They asked me to write a piece that they were going to perform multiple times. They premiered it in Boston. And then they, the, the kind of the agreement was they'd put it on an album, and here we are, you know, a couple of years down the road, like five years from that initial project that I started and brought people on to collaborate with, I'm getting the reciprocal collaborations. And now I'm on a project with the trombonist of Some Assembly Required, um, writing a piece for a premiere at the International Trombone uh, Journal, International Trombone Journal, something like that. I don't even know. I go, just, <laughs> we just, it just came about. He applied for it and they approved it. And so now I'm writing a piece for July, you know, uh, for trombone and or alto trombone, actually. So, like, those little connection points are kind of what make this industry move. Um, and giving, you know, receiving is all part of it. So, I, I love that you just went through that whole process because that was actually something I was going to ask was, was how did it come, you know, how did it in regards yeah. to networking, like with some assembly required, how did that whole relationship start? And like, uh, and it's cool because, you know, I, I actually take some of my own projects and map them out for my class. And just to show like the weird pathways that things take, mm -hmm. because you never know what's going to happen. And the people that do this a lot, like they have, they might have 10 to 20 of these little, weird networks happening at once right that lead them into new projects or new experiences or new jobs even um so like you know yeah it's you don't know what the chain of events is going to be but you put yourself out there you bring people on to work with you um you try and make it both ways right um i try i always try to have projects created where i you know collaborate with people too to bring them on to pay them um i've done a lot of that and so it kind of I think it makes a relationship feel better than someone wants to bring you on 
and have you be part of something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my it God. It just works out that way. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I love all of that. Like, what, what, um, to what degree were you involved with the uh, making of the album with some assembly required? Barely at all. That's the crazy thing. <laughs> like, um, you know, I wrote the piece, they premiered it and I got a, a kind of just a quick little phone audio recording of the premiere. And I was like, Oh, that was really fun. You know, not a recording worth putting on an album. And then they got the album together and they told me they were recording it. They had a few questions, like a couple questions while, when they were in the studio. Mm-hmm. And I didn't hear anything for a while. And they had a Kickstarter for it that they set up. Like, I really didn't do anything, honestly, mm-hmm. other than write the piece, which was kind of new for me and it felt pretty good. <laughs> I'm usually doing a lot of the back end stuff for my own projects. But they um, they did all this work and I, you know, I helped with their Kickstarter. Hey, Luna, I'm on an interview, okay? <laughs> it's my daughter. Oh. Second cameo of the day. Woo! <laughs> I love the headband or whatever that is. It's a ribbon. She's a fashionista, so Ooh, yeah. stylish. I, five and fashionista. <laughs> um, and so, what are they saying with that? Yeah, so they did all this work to produce this great album for their own ensemble, um, and I kind of jumped in at the tail end and said, "Okay, uh, let me see how I can help." You know, mm-hmm. um, we kind of worked through some things, and here we are. Ugh. How cool is that, that you just got to write the piece and be like, I'll just relax until you're ready. <laughs> yeah. And then once the label started, I'm like, oh, God, so yeah. much I, don't, I mean, I'm reading articles about this and that and yeah. doing distributions and still learning. But yeah, that's been fun. So yeah. now you're the one with the shovel digging and like, all right, I got to put this fence together now. Like, Yeah, and that's part of it. You know, that's part of it. Um and it feels good to to work with people that are in it for the art and for the relationships. Not, I mean, we're all doing the best we can with our own jobs and <laughs> time. So totally, yeah. yeah. Um, I was curious. You're you're at Western Michigan, right? Um, so I did teach there for a while. I'm no, I haven't taught there since. It's been a while, 2015, 2016. Okay. Yeah, but I know a lot of people there. I went to school there for my master's, mm-hmm. um, taught part-time there, a lot of classes, um, and slowly phased out of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you were affiliated with anyone at a uh, splice or anything like that. No, um, but I know Chris Biggs and, um, those composers and I keep up with what they're doing. So it's pretty, I've been to one of their, um, in-person festivals at Western. So, right. Yeah. yeah I, I know they have the, the Institute and the festival, Mm-hmm. Um, I can never remember which one is which, but I know one happens in the summer. One happens, I think, in the winter. Or something. They've, you know, they've kind of been changing things. I've seen them broadcasting from different places mm-hmm. under the splice name. So I know, like, the winter is typically concerts and the institutes in the summer. So right, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I went to, I did um, my grad grad work at Bowling Green. So yep. I studied with Eleni Lilios. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. I read that just recently. So yeah. 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 So. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I never was involved with Splice or went to it. I wanted to, but, um, uh, yeah, I was just kind of curious about that. I had recently, I had Robin Meeksons on, she's a flute player and she's affiliated with Splice. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, where, where in Michigan are you located? Yeah. We're in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh yeah. You it's the Southwest over. part of the state, um, our South of Grand Rapids, mm-hmm. a couple hours from Chicago. So not too far from you. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been through the area before. I've never actually stopped by or anything, but um 
my buddy who I went to grad school with, Nathan Herring, went to... Um, Nathan, yeah. Uh, he was... I think he was in one of my theory classes at one point, but he's been busy. <laughs> he's been busy, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did, yeah. did he have the big beard at the time? or? No, I don't think so. It's, it's, that feels like ages ago. <laughs> there, So I can't remember. But yeah, I remember having him. Yeah, I uh, as long I've only known Nathan since we started we went to graduate school, and as long as I've known him, he's had the beard. Okay. But whenever I see him in photos without it, it, it always throws me off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Totally different person. <laughs> he's been busy. He's been busy writing some cool music. So. Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. I know he um he wrote the uh, flute piece while he was at uh, Kalamazoo, that uh, it was like I don't remember what's called, it was flute and like flute and electronics. And uh, that's that piece, I think, was one of his most like performed pieces still nice. performed today, you know, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great to see that all the, uh, you know, the momentum, like you were saying before that, mm -hmm. like that one hit that you might have, you know, I mean, not that uh, Nathan is in some position, or whatever, but it's, it's given him some momentum in his career. Yeah, and it helps, you know, and trying to recreate that time and time again is the the challenge, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like what I was saying with uh, when, when Alan Tyson was on and, and he said, you know, young artists who hit it big and then it's like, well, how do you do that again? What? Yeah, what do you do and what do you not do or, yeah, exactly. It's it's all challenging. It is, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I don't know. I, I haven't spent much time like trying to figure out what is the next hit for me as a composer, <laughs> you know, like it's always a tough balance of trying to write something that um, like, well, I don't know. What, what is, what are your thoughts on, on when it comes to composing, like being the music that you create and, and writing the music for yourself, how much of, how much of what you create is, is like centered on what you want it to be. Um. Well, honestly, I haven't been in a position in a long time where I'm just writing music for the fun of it. Mm. Like I, I find that my best motivation comes when I've, when I have a project that's beyond just me to write. Um, so somebody asks me to write something, or I write a grant to fund a performance of an idea I have. Like I have to have a third party motivating me to get it done. Otherwise, I don't. Um, like I just, that's just my life right now. <laughs> so right. things going on with work and other projects, I could completely fill my time with that and be satisfied. Um, so I try to create these little moments of opportunities where I'm, or, or be receptive to them when they happen um, to take on new, new composing ideas. And honestly, like um, most of my new music projects are really people just ask me to write something and not giving me a whole lot of parameters. Mm -hmm. um, like the, my next project is a solo alto trombone piece for alto trombone and piano. The rest is wide open. So <laughs> that's always um, the best. <laughs> yeah. So I think you know, now, you know, I think what, I mean, 2000 graduate. Yeah. Like 14 years after graduating with my master's, I feel like I'm finally starting to realize what I enjoy writing. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, artistically, I just I haven't had a lot of time to think about it. But I'm finally getting these moments where I'm like, oh, that's that'd be really good to do. I want to do that. So let's do it. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wonder with um with stuff like that. I mean, because as as creative people, like we're always well, hopefully always kind of progressing, you know, 
Yeah. And our, our artistic vision is shifting throughout our career. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, cause you were saying how your composing is usually based around the projects that you have going on yeah. when you have the time. Um, how is, is that how your composing schedule typically is uh, designed is, is based on whether or not you have a project or like, do you like, like, do you set a, a specific time in your day where you're like, I compose at this hour every day or, I can't do that really. Um, the things I've already taken on consume my working day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to re- leave the rest for time with the family, you know? Um, so yeah, I can't really, when I compose, it's usually after everybody goes to bed, which is relatively late, mm-hmm. um, unless I'm facing a deadline and I need to carve out time, different parts of the day. So <clears throat> yeah, it's usually just <laughs> sporadic. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, there, there was a, before I broke my hand a few weeks ago, um, I would play piano just kind of in the evening between things like after dinner while the kids were playing or doing some homework or whatnot. And sometimes I get ideas that I just sketch down, say for later, sometimes whole songs have come out of there, like, like singer songwriter style songs. Um, that's my, sometimes it's like a two to 15 minutes, you know, of me time. Mm -hmm. Um, but usually with kids flying around jamming with me too. So it's, um, (laughs) you know, it's a, it's a different life right now, but yeah, that's the only time I really kind of let my creativity just kind of wander. Mm. Um, but ideas come to me randomly too, like when I'm driving or doing something else, that's not taking too much mental space, like yard work or even mowing is a big one, like just mowing the lawn. You know, I get a lot of ideas then I write them down. Um, so yeah. That's, that's one of the most interesting things I've always found was like how, cause I have the same sort of experience where it's like, I'm washing the dishes and I'm like, oh my God, that's how I can resolve that climax, yeah. you know, or like the piece can end using this thing here. Yeah. You, when you turn your brain off cause you're doing something with your hands, I feel like it opens up a lot of space. Uh. Um, even just like, like when I'm hanging out with my kids, like I make up songs and pretend I can beatbox a lot. And even those like playful kid interactions, like sometimes lead me down paths to go, Oh, that'd be kind of fun to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That'd be, that'd be a wild project to pursue. I think, yeah, there could be some, there could be something there. Um, I, I was, I, I, I watched an interview recently with Augusta Reed Thomas and yeah, she was saying how her process usually begins with like, um, scatting when it comes to composing. Yeah. Like she'll sit there and, is huge. Yeah. You know, just kind of like soup, you know, like, and then, and then like taking whatever that little thing is and then turning into a macrocosm and like, what's the, you know, like, yep. I, I, I just think it's so interesting to learn about other composers process and like how they, uh, how their creative mind works and like how they carve out time for creativity and when they do, like, what's the, you know, it's like, like for me, um, I usually have to do it first thing in the morning, like right when I wake up before breakfast, before everything. Yeah. Um, Cause it's harder for me to come to it as the day goes on, honestly. No. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I secretly wish I could do that. I think one day I will do that. I'm not sure when it's going to be, but not right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one day I might do that. Um, but yeah, right now I have to like kind of wake up at night and drink some more coffee and get to a project just get to it you know yeah so it happens so yeah I, I love that i love i love that you you're you're like uh you make it work with however you have to yeah yeah i think i think that's sort of like how i operate with with doing it first thing in the morning because if i uh if i wake up later than like 
I don't know, eight thirty, nine o'clock. I, I still have trouble composing. I, oh yeah. Yeah. Like I have to wake <laughs> up at like five thirty or six, do it for like two and a half hours straight. And then I'm like, all right, did it. A lot of people do that. It's a really good creative time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I think part of it is for me is it's like the world is silent so I can be, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and I think it's a similar thing doing it late at night because yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, it's like, I don't have to think about what everybody else might need. Um, cause they're all in bed. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> it works. It's essentially yeah. like for your family, that's the safest place for them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It works out. They're, they're comfortable sleeping in bed <laughs> and that allows you the freedom to be like, okay, I can, I can lower my, my guard yeah. and just like unleash my creative energy. Yeah. It works out. So <laughs> that's great. I love that. I, that, that gives me a lot to kind of like think about and look forward to, uh, you know, when, when I, when I have a family and stuff and like, yeah. And like everybody's families are different too. Like my kids have notoriously never slept before the age of two for a whole night. Oh, so yeah. like you're constantly and just, I mean, we're used to being tired. So, and like my wife and I are naturally night owls. So like mm. me staying up late, like it's like 12 to three, we're talking not like, you know, 9 PM. Like <laughs> my kids are still awake at 9 PM, you know, they're still, <laughs> they're still jamming. So, um, they're still going, but yeah, it's just different for everybody. You kind of got to figure out what you can make work in your, in your lifestyle. Right. Well, I, I'm, I'm curious about this and, and like, you can deflect this question if you want. Sure. Um, but cause for me, sleep has always been an issue. Mm-hmm. I actually, I have insomnia. So, um, with that whole sort of schedule of, of working from 12 midnight to three, how, how does, um, how do you, how does that affect your sleep and like with functioning through the day and stuff, you know? Yeah. So, um, well, having kids has made me notoriously chronically tired <laughs> for better or for worse. Um, even before kids, like I really could sleep through about anything. Hmm. There's been stories like I was on a trip abroad and I woke up in a hostel you know, with my friends. We were saying this hostel is like a 16 bunk room, right? And they're like, hey, Adam, how'd you sleep? I'm like, fine. And they're like, really? So apparently this this guy snuck into the hostel, who's like a, a homeless person, and he slept in the bed for a while. And this lady and her daughter who had that bunk came in later than us and like had to call the cops to get him out of his bed. And it was all happening like right next to me while I'm snoozing. And like and they're just all cracking up at me. Like, how'd you sleep through that? Like all the lights were on, the police were in, like, <laughs> I don't know. So like I that's my superpower. I can sleep. Um sometimes I find like if I go to bed too early, my brain's just awake. Mm. Maybe that's, maybe that's what, you know, insomniacs experience. I'm not really sure. So I find like, if I push my bedtime a little bit, I'm just tired. And I just, I just conk right out. Like, right. And I wake up, you know, <laughs> when everybody else wakes up and like, okay, where's the coffee? <laughs> that's, I love that. That's a great superpower, Adam. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's good or not, but yeah, it's what we got. <laughs> Well, you you definitely survived that hostile experience. <laughs> yeah, so like I, my my ability to sleep has never really been a I guess a thing for me, but mm. I do notice lately like if I go to bed too early, it's hard to fall asleep. So I've kind of built myself into this not necessarily healthy schedule, but mm-hmm. so far so good, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because that's actually what I have to do often if I go to bed uh, too early or I don't want to say too early, if I go to bed when I'm not sleepy, 
Yeah. You know, then I just lay there and ruminate. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big schedule person. Like I have my working hours, but like sometimes we have, you know, evening events and concerts and it's like my schedule is never really consistent. Mm -hmm. So it's constantly flexing. If I'm not tired, I'll go do stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, I've also been really tired at like 10 PM or 11 PM. So I'll go to bed then. And it usually ends up well, but when I listen to my body and just, you know, go to bed because I'm either fighting possibly getting sick or not, you know, and I right. usually get enough sleep. I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm good now. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good call, Adam. Good job. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not always the best at listening to ourselves. Yeah. You know, I, I heard, I heard someone once say, um, I can't remember who it was, but it was like, you're a, you're a, a, a a terrible employee and a worse boss. So you should fire yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. <laughs> like, like to you know, bring someone else on to control your life because you can't. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. But I, I have to say, I appreciate the uh, the the wherewithal that you have for yourself. Like <laughs> trying, I, always trying. So yeah. I, um, one of the things I had mentioned in the email, which yeah. we, di we definitely talked about, I I, I would say, but. I want to ask it, ask it as explicitly was um, uh, for, for composers who, who just got out of school and they're starting their career. Um, what is one issue that you would like to just, if you could just tell all of them, be like, you need to stop thinking like that or stop doing this thing because, you know, like, you know, you know what I'm asking? Like, <laughs> I think so. I, I think I, I usually don't think about what to stop. Mm-hmm. I more think about what to start doing. Mm. Um, so I really, I feel like I really consider bad behaviors or behaviors that we need to cease, but more, I like to think about behaviors that we need to take on. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously one of the things I've been speaking a lot about with young artists is just the financial side, like just start budgeting, treating your, treating your personal finances as your business finances. Right getting used to that. So as you freelance or as you have variable income, which is going to be most of everybody's reality, you can handle it intelligently, no matter the level it's at, whether you're have very little money or you have enough money or you have a lot of money, you want to be able to handle it appropriately. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's a big one. I try to get people working early on, um, kind of even pre-careers, you know, start it in college. Um, the other thing is just like, I guess not waiting for permission to do something. Um, so many people are like, I'm just going to get my degree and then I'll go do this. Like you're an artist. Like <laughs> uh, you know, but nobody has a job interview for an artist that says, what was your GPA? You know, right? it's like, you're either an artist or you're not, you don't need a degree to determine that you just need to do something or start something and then keep doing that or shift it based on how that last one went, you know, it's, um, I think the, our education system has kind of put us in this approval based relationship with our careers, um, where we're seeking the next certification or the next job or somebody to say, you can do this. And the arts world doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. Um, there's still those, there's still those pieces like or orchestral auditions and like competitions, but you also don't need to follow that path this day and age to build your own career. 
And so I always tell people just to start doing it, you know, start in college, start before you graduate, before you, before you're a real adult, just start it, you know? Um, and like we talked about earlier, that slow growth, you know, start with one thing, then say, well, how can I maximize that one thing? If I write one piece of music, can I get that one piece of music performed? Can I then get that one piece of music registered for ASCAP or BMI? Can I then, you know, make sure I have a, a sellable score of that? Can I get a second performance? You know, this is all just with one piece of music, right? Um, and can I build in these little patterns of behaviors and systems that over time end up maximizing each little thing I do? Like Garrett Hope talks about on his Portfolio Composer podcast, just that creating those assets, right, mm -hmm. that we can do stuff with and continue to benefit from so that we can live, right? So that we can make enough money to live and be functioning adults. That's all we want, you know? <laughs> what, what I love about what you're saying right here is it totally reflects in everything that you've done in your career and what you we talked about earlier in the podcast. Everything I've stumbled through, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, it, it makes me think a little bit too with um, the trajectory of a composer's career starting as a student, right? So typically as a composer, we start in um, uh, academia, in undergrad, and yep. then we go into grad school and stuff, right? And one thing that I've kind of noticed, I, I, and, but I know it has been popping up a lot more, like with you, for example, is not a lot of college music programs have entrepreneurial or like career service, mm -hmm. you know, counseling or classes and stuff. Yeah. And part of what you were saying about um, seeking for approval and whatnot, I kind of wonder if how much of that approval is also embedded in the way that college music programs are designed. What are your thoughts on that? I Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a, our entire education system intentionally or unintentionally has this problem mm -hmm. um, to where you're asked to learn something and you do, and you're asked to produce a replica of that or a synthesis of that and you do and you require immediate feedback to see how you did. Um, the artist's life, you don't get immediate feedback, if any fe truly honest feedback, right? Um, you don't always, especially when it's self-produced stuff, you don't always get the approval, mm -hmm. right? This is why like composer calls for scores and competitions are attractive because if you get accepted, it's almost like you're validated. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is nobody needs that to have a successful career, right? That's totally true. But what if you cut out the competition? I mean, still apply for them. I apply for them when, especially when they don't cost any money or if it's a really good opportunity, well, why not? You know, but like, what if you just cut out the competition and you approach the people making music that are performing recitals and say, hey, can I write for you? Or, hey, um, do you want to go in on this grant together and commission something? It's the same process. It's just you're you're in control, right? You're not waiting for somebody to say yes. Um, and if you are, it's a shorter time frame. It's not a competition with a panel and months of reviews. So, I mean, the education system kind of unfortunately creates these environments where we're looking to get that grade. We're being guided through these learning steps, which are helpful for knowledge and for the sheer sake of learning, which I'll always agree with. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful opportunity, um, but it doesn't help us craft a career. Yeah. Yeah. That, skills that's... do. 
the experience does, our colleagues do, our professors do, but the the container it's put in doesn't help us see the pathways to a career all the time. Yeah, that's and that's exactly what I was trying to get at with that question. I mean, because yeah, obviously we need, you know, you shouldn't be hired as a composer if you're not composing great music, you know, like, or if people don't like that, if, if who you want to commission you doesn't like your music, then why should they commission you? And so that's where having the school uh, schooling comes into play because you develop the craft. Yeah. And so, uh, but what you said, uh, yeah, that makes so much sense um, where, and that's, that's sort of one of the things that I've had trouble with is transitioning out of academia and then into the, the career mindset. And like, like, how do you set your prices? How do you, you know, like, I don't know, network, effectively like and don't look like a jerk or something you know like <laughs> like that sort of stuff yeah and that's all part of i mean it takes time you know mm-hmm. it takes talking to people like this podcast it takes um it takes all of that above that that interaction beyond beyond school mm-hmm. to really uh craft that the capability for yourself and it's hard and there's not like there's not a one one size fits all answer either Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 Especially with each person with how they handle things like their own behavior and personality traits. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I think what you were just saying a moment ago too, about needing the approval, like when you win that competition, it's like, oh, you got some validation there. Yeah. Um, I think that also ties into what you were saying earlier about like getting like, oh, I got a hundred likes on that video. That means people, you know, but at the end of the day, like, it's, it doesn't always translate into a gig, you know, yeah. or to a paid opportunity. Or I think I think we can have more control of that if we pursue those ourselves, you know, rather than relying on these metrics by which to gauge our success. But it's hard because you kind of have to let go of what what does success mean. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Or You're, or as I tell my students, you know, the only success you can really measure against is yourself. Mm. are you doing better than you did before mm. and if you're not can you be or you know it's, it's not going to be like i'm always doing better too you're not always going this way it's kind of like mm, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, right it's but that's only that's the only success worth measuring the rest of it is comparisons to see what people are doing how they're doing it and to learn from it mm. but not to give yourself worth or lack of worth Mm-hmm. right looking at what people are doing like they're going to be doing such different stuff and you got to say that's so cool what they're doing maybe that opportunity that they had something that i could replicate for myself mm-hmm. but not going oh man i suck because i didn't get that well did you ask to get it you know did you <laughs> did you seek that specific thing out did you submit your piece for the pulitzer i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> If you didn't, then how are you going to get it? <laughs> yeah. Don't be mad about something you didn't get because you didn't actually apply. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, we can be envious, but like it doesn't really help anything. It yeah. Anything. You should just be excited for them and learn from them, you know? I've, I've heard um, about like with competitions, for example, where, uh, I don't know, let's say it was a piano competition and uh like one judge is like oh my god the phrasing that they did in the right hand was just perfect and then another judge is like it's funny because i thought it was really clunky like even even just the basis of which uh 
uh, not just competitions, but how anyone evaluates someone else is never um, like the same. It can't be. It's impossible. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, so w- with that being said, it's like um, uh, basing your, like you said, your success and validation off of what other people are saying or what you don't achieve um, is, is, uh, I don't know, ill-informed. Is that the right word? Yeah, I'd say so. Seems to make sense. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just it's, not a good measurement, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 Not a good measurement. That's a good way of putting it. It's a it's a great learning experience mm-hmm. to see how to do something, but it's not a good measurement of how am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. <laughs> yeah. That's taken a long time to <laughs> to realize myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is going back to the whole like in the trees, not the forest thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. We got to fire ourselves, Adam. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're terrible CEOs. <laughs> so, what is um, is there anything in particular that you you would be interested in in uh, bringing up at all? Any sort of uh, like, I want to make sure that we're covering topics and and anything that you want to discuss because uh, um, we talked a little bit about the album. Yeah, talked about uh, some assembly required in your relationship to them. Do you want to talk about the piece at all? If you want me to, I mean, I, I like the questions. I, I like the little bit of entrepreneurial talk. I like the, you know, I like the financials got in there. Um, it's kind of all what I've been doing. Um, it's funny because I came on the podcast to talk about the album, but here we are talking about so many other things. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's, nothing's wrong with that. But that's that's kind of how the new music industry is. Like it's just all these little micro collaborations and discussions. But um. Um, I don't know. I it's it's funny because like it's just a I I really believe in this album that they put together. Mm. Um, per- personally, as a composer, I feel like it's one of my favorite pieces I've ever composed lately. Um, and it's like I don't I'm not prolific at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was writing this piece, I felt like I kind of overcame an artistic roadblock that I was having. When the question was kind of like, what do I want to compose like? You know, what do I want? What's my aesthetic in a way? Um, and the piece I wrote is called Click Here, um, which is funny because I saw that on your website in your commissioning area. There's a little click here button. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, um, it was composed for the group plus the group is trombone, uh, horn, and piano. And they add, they're part of their titles, some assembly required. So they add different com- uh, performers to their lineup depending on where they're going. And so there's um, bassoon and clarinet added to this ensemble. So it's a really weird quintet um and everybody has a speaking part except for the pianist because cholong didn't want to talk and play which is fine you know but that was a funny thing too like she's like oh yeah i'm not going to do that i'm like oh so i'm gonna have to like redo these parts she's like, yeah okay fine <laughs> <laughs> but um you know all the performers say something or use text which is usually just trash i found on the internet kind of like the spammy language mm-hmm. you know like click here not that that's always spammy but just kind of what we're used to seeing um, and some other funny spammy emails that I got in my accounts over the years. And so that's the that's the text of the piece. Um, and it's kind of like a like a post minimalist schizophrenic romp, you know, it's just like kind of where I'm at with like my attention span and three kids running around, and all this work to do is like it's not super focused. Mm-hmm. And so the piece jumps around a lot, but it ends up really I feel like working pretty well for it. Um, so I was really excited just to have it on there. Um and it's kind of comical, you know? Yeah, no, it definitely is. 
Yeah, so I, I enjoy that. And I, I enjoy like it being such a different piece than the rest of the pieces on the album, too. It's like, you know, you have Tyler Klein, Ian Weiss, um, Benjamin Whiting have these really uniquely different pieces, some electroacoustics in there. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have my piece with no electroacoustics and people talking. And then you have, you know, Piazzolla at, arrangements at the end. And so it's um, it's kind of a fun listen. You know, I really I enjoyed the whole experience of it. Um, which is again why I wanted to help promote it because I was like, it's not just one of my pieces, but the album's really good. Um, it's a really, it's a really good sound. Yeah, I, I, I uh, went to the links that you had sent me and I listened to it on Spotify, and um, links. Oh, it was, it was so well put together. Like, um, yeah, they like did a good job production-wise, but also um, the the like the program itself, like how each piece unfolds to the next one and. Um, one of the things that I particularly liked in, in your piece too was how the music felt. It didn't feel like it was. Um, uh, how, how do I say that? Um, it was composed in a way where, like, it it didn't feel like the the music was. Uh, I can't figure out how to say this. It's like you hear a piece. I'm a guitarist, so like <laughs> you hear a piece for guitar, and you're like, yeah, that's such a guitar piece. Yeah, you know. I didn't feel that with these pieces. Like it felt like if I was listening to it, I was like, wow, that sounds like that's a string part or something, you know? And, okay. and I, and I mean that in a good way, like a compliment, you know? Yeah. And, and I like the aspect of it and um, in, in your piece, particularly with the, with the spoken words and stuff, I, I really liked the interjections where it was like, they would stop and then be like, click here and then start the next part. And, you know, so um, that, that to me almost felt like the comedic aspect like you were talking about. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, I, it was funny, too, because I got to hear the Vermeer recording and like, you know, it wasn't a good recording because it was just uh, kind of a home device. But like the audience was actually laughing. You know, <laughs> I was like, I didn't even think about trying to make the audience laugh. I just thought it was funny to me, you know. Right. And so it felt good to kind of let go of what I thought I should compose like and just write something that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I feel like I really finally got there with that piece. So yeah that's kind of where i'm at <laughs> i love your description of it too how, how you're talking about like oh my god i get this spammy stuff in my email and it's like i'm living my life i have my family and it's like i don't have time for that like yeah. you know <laughs> and so that's, and so you took that as creative energy and put it into this piece yeah and it's, it felt like i felt like i was kind of on the internet writing it you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or cruising around the internet just doing weird things <laughs> And it worked. It totally worked. I mean, you, uh, um, like we were saying before about finding the time that you can to put in composing and like mm-hmm. taking everything around you, like you, you were saying when you're with your kids and you're like, oh, this might be an interesting thing. This little beatbox yeah. that I did. Yeah. They actually, the middle of the piece, um, you know, the bump, 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 bump has like this middle section that kind of this little 16th note interjection right before they say click here. That was actually supposed to be the opening. And that was like what I first wrote. Mm. And later in the process, I was like, that's not going to be the opening anymore. You know, <laughs> it's, it's funny how these things pan out because you think I'm going to start this piece. Here's a cool opening and it being the smack dab middle of the piece. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so process is always interesting. But yeah, it really is. I, I, I love how you brought that out because or you brought that up because um, it's so challenging when you have this idea of what like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the beginning. And then and then like having that realization of you're like, wait a second maybe it should go at the end. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of hard to break that. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. Yeah. But I don't know. I felt like it was, 
that was kind of the process of the piece too, just cobbling these sections together. <laughs> Dare I say cobble, right? Kind of invalidates it, but that's what it felt like sometimes. <laughs> no, no, I think, I mean, well, that's that's one of the great things too that I've been experimenting a little bit with composing is is different like approaches. Yep. How like, are you, you know, just writing with paper and pen or uh, doing it straight into Sibelius or doing it with like um, uh, a, a, a DAW or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know or just like sitting out in the yard and like listening to sounds and everything's so different yep and they yeah. all produce cool results too is was this a sort of new way like process for you with writing this piece i wouldn't say a new process necessarily my process was widely varied between kind of in my head to on paper sporadically at the piano to in the notation software so it's kind of a good mix but mm. yeah um process wasn't really different but well i don't really know i had nothing to compare against honestly like i don't always have the same process for every piece it's just varied um but i guess the realization of what to do with it was different you know yeah yeah i gotcha i gotcha yeah, yeah i think uh i think we covered quite a bit of cool good yeah. stuff here good hopefully it works out for your podcast <laughs> totally yeah I, I i it definitely will um is there um, is there anything else you want to, you want to tag on? You can, you know, uh, or any other topics, but like any, uh, social media or, uh, like where to find the album. Yeah. Well, you know, the, I'll give you some links to the album. Um, the cool thing that some assembly required did, um, they hired an artist to create artwork for each of the pieces. And that's actually part of the digi the physical CD. Um, so they actually produced a physical C CD for this, which you can buy on Bandcamp. Um, so I, you know, I'm I'm old enough to where I like CDs, I guess. <laughs> Me too. I, um, yeah, and I like having something physical, even though I listen to a lot of digital platforms. Um, but I really enjoyed the artwork behind it, and so the the production of the CD booklet is going to be really cool um because of the, that specific artwork per piece like each new piece has a piece of artwork that goes with it um and so that'll be happening in the cd booklet itself and so i think that's worth getting just for that you know the artist uh, will boric did a really great job with some of the the pieces there so mm. he, he helped them design all the the graphics for the album and the artwork for the pieces so yeah that's that's my one I want to tag on there. Definitely check out the band camp. And if you, if you like CDs, definitely get the CD because we don't always get to produce a CD and this is one of them you get to. So beautiful. I love that. That's so great. They, they brought in an artist. Yeah. And, you know, working with all these composers like yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. It's totally. been fun. Yeah. yeah well, really grateful to work with some assembly required. They're, they're a great team. It was, it's a great album. I mean, the it's, I, I'm psyched on it. So uh, yeah, everyone out there buy it there you go buy the album <laughs> um, and streaming everywhere too so you can sample it and i even made a youtube video for click to click here if you find my youtube channel it's on there um is there a click here button for them to go to that <laughs> i should I, I need to set that up somewhere but uh yeah my own social media has been lacking lately but <laughs> that's all right i think you're doing great things that's yeah, awesome so, well, slow burn right slow burn